We're going to go through the first 14 verses of chapter 6. And the title of this morning's message is Wanted, Dead, or, dead and Alive. Now, <laughs> see that? Now I have that in my mind. Wanted. Yeah, that's, a, that's a song, actually, huh? Better left out of the mind. But now it's in yours, too. Wanted, Dead, and Alive. That, that's something that we're going to learn this evening, or this morning. Where are we at? Okay, so you pray for me, and then we'll get started. No, wanted dead and alive. We're going to find out exactly what that means um, through these verses uh, this morning. This morning, uh, Wanted dead and alive. All right, so let's read. Let's read, and then we'll get into our study of God's Word. Uh, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Father, we do desire to hear from you. I do ask that we at this moment would give you an unrestricted um, attention, one that is not distracted. Lord, it, it's, a, it's a choosing. It's a, something that we choose to do, Lord, to give us our undivided attention. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to do that that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that your spirit would move among us, Lord, that you would be the teacher. And as you lay these truths before us, Lord, that we would be mindful of what they mean and how we ought to respond to the grace that we have come to know through Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that We would be willing to keep our eyes focused on you, our ears, our hearts, that they would be humble and receptive to whatever it is that you desire to teach us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Deal Moody said, quote, There will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. Close quote. But a person will not desire and be willing to obey the voice of God until they know his peace in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And once you know God's grace and are saved, one other very important thing you need to know is that sin no longer has control over your life. Did you know that in Christ, you're dead to sin? Dead. 
but you are alive in God. Alive to God in Christ. Alive to the Father through the Son, the Spirit indwelling you. You have been resurrected to new life. And you are now free to live for God and not for sin. Because sin no longer has power over you. That is a very powerful principle that we need to know and apply. Because the church has been in compromise. Even within the, the church, a place where we need to come and worship God and praise him, be in fellowship together, know these things. These are, these are fundamentals. These are basics. We ought to all not, not only know this, but prove that we know it by the manner in which we conduct ourselves, the lives that we lead. A person is either dead to God and alive in sin and will die a second death, and that is to eternal condemnation, or dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, born again. The person who is dead to God, though he lives physically, is condemned to hell for all eternity. And that's a reality. That's the truth. This morning, we'll be learning about being saved and what happens to sin, how we are to handle sin, and the reality of sin's power in the Christian life. What happened to sin the moment we surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ? Who we are led by and how we can and are to live our lives as people who are free in God's grace. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're, desiring the, the, uh, if you're, you're uh, uh, gratifying the desires of the flesh, then be certain that you are not walking according to the Spirit. You're walking according to the flesh. Because this verse, Galatians 5.16, is addressed to believers, meaning it applies to someone who has the Spirit of God indwelling them and has, that is past tense, died to sin and is alive to God in Christ Jesus. For that we say hallelujah, amen, right? Praise God. That is the reality of the Christian, of the believer. That is what we have come to know in salvation. Therefore, this morning, not only are we going to learn what it means to be dead in sin and alive to God in Christ, but it will also be one of those moments when you can learn to distinguish what or who has been leading your life. It's one of two. There is no in-between. Oh, pastor, you're so black and white. Yes, because I thank God that God is black and white. Because you are being led by one of two, Satan or God. One leads to destruction and death. The other one leads to eternal life and glory. You choose. In Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to God. I pray that every single person here yields to the authority of God by trusting in Jesus Christ being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, because of that love that you've been demonstrated, you completely yield 
and desire to bless the Lord by the obedience and through the obedience of his word. Three things that we're going to point out this morning. Number one, walk in the new life. Number two, reckon yourself dead to sin. And thirdly, offer yourself to God. Three things. Let's begin again in verse one of chapter six. Walk in the new life. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see, Paul had just made the case that where sin abounded, God's grace abounded incomparably more. In other words, there was no sin that God's grace was not able to cover. That's, be- that's a beautiful truth. That is true. There is no sin that you have committed, no amount, no the darkness of it. It doesn't really matter because God's grace can cover any sin and all sin. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was saying it is paid in full. His blood was sufficient to atone for all of our sins. Not just for some, but all of them. And so that's what the Apostle Paul had just gotten done teaching in his writing, in his letter to the Christians in Rome. There is no sin that God's grace was not able to cover. Yes, the law, the word of God, in other words expose the sin in our own lives, expose the sin in their lives in that day. And so it continues to do that very thing. But grace is sufficient to cover the sin with the righteousness of Christ. So in, in some ways, grace presents a problem because it is misunderstood. Not because it's a problem in and of itself, but because it's misunderstood. What do we do with grace? How how do we handle grace? How do we respond to grace? Since we're under grace in Christ, can we continue in sin that we may experience more and more of God's grace? Let's sin a little more. There's actually those people who think that. Can you imagine that? That philosophy. Say, well, let's let's continue to sin that we may know God's grace and therefore really be thankful for his grace because we sin all the more and God's grace is abounding in my life. This is why Paul begins this section with a question. What shall we say then? Are are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This may seem like a purely rhetorical question. A question that has an obvious answer. But this is a very real issue in today's church. And apparently it's not obvious to everyone. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we read this and we think, well, of course. 
But if you really think about it and you consider the church and everyone within the church, it's not quite obvious, is it? Paul is referring to habitual sin, an act of sinning as an act of personal practice over and over with full knowledge and over and over. It's habitual sin. That's what he's referring to. You know, you've heard uh, in one way or another, you've heard a person say, eh, that's just the way God made me. Actually, no. If you understood that we were made in God's image, uh, you would know that that statement is foolish. Because if we were made in his image, it means we ought to reflect his image. But sin marred that image. It perverted that image. And we're, when we're walking in that perversion, we're walking not in the Lord, but we're walking in sin and in the flesh. Too many people think that this is a good idea. It's acceptable. And one that apparently makes sense to the masses. Paul answers this by saying simple three words with an exclamation point at the end. By no means we ought to wake up because that's exactly what the Lord exclaims to you and I. By no means. But then he goes from that, getting everyone's attention, and he goes on to explain. As if there was a lack of knowledge and understanding, like you're talking to a bunch of little kids. Think about that. You and I, you and I are being talked to by the Holy Spirit, at this very moment, like a bunch of little kids. These are the basics. Not in an unloving way, either. Not in a condescending way. It's just because we lack knowledge, understanding, wisdom. We lack that. Because he asks the question, how can we, speaking of Christians, followers, those who, who proclaim, declare... To, to love Christ and follow him and have surrendered their lives to him. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Died to sin? But don't we still inevitably at some point sin? Yes, but it is. But, but the question is, is it a conscientious habitual sin? You know not to do that, and yet you still do it, like knowingly, over and over again. You can continue to reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know you, at this point you have no discipline, therefore it leads to destruction and death. That's what that is. There's no spiritual strength. And so what happens is, is because we're in that place, and because we are continually, habitually sinning, even going against and rejecting the knowledge of God's word, 
we are demonstrating something that is unchristlike. Is it something that we can actively avoid? The Bible, I just read, the Bible tells us that we can. We can. And Paul goes on to list some important, very important, critical, fundamental truths. Talks about being baptized into Christ. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he, he says, it. it's, again, it's a fundamental truth. It's the basic of, of Christianity, of our faith. Baptized into Christ. What does that mean? Baptized into his death. That, this means that we were recovered completely in Christ the moment we yielded our lives to him. He's our, our covering. Therefore, as we are in Christ, we are also by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why I refer to Romans 6, often when we're doing baptisms. Because we're identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection to new life. Uh, the water baptism is a complete immersion because we ourselves are completely covered. Can you imagine if, yeah, salvation is only like a partial covering. It's, it's only a little bit. That's why purgatory and the whole doctrine of purgatory is so dangerous. Was Christ's atoning blood on the cross not sufficient for all of our sins? Because he said, it is paid in full. We were completely covered by his righteousness the moment we yielded to him as Lord and Savior. It is sufficient. The doctrine of purgatory is false doctrine. You will not find it in the Bible. You cannot pay for your own sins. They've been paid for in full. What do we do with grace? How do we respond? This is why baptism is an outward declaration of a spiritual reality. Baptism does not save you. And it means nothing to the person who's really not a believer. But to the person who has indeed believed in Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, who died for their sins and was raised by the power of God from the grave, to that person there is always a dramatic, listen to this, always a dramatic and identifiable point in which their lives were changed. Always. With no exception. Paul, throughout these first few verses here, said we six times, us once, and Paul is referring to the genuine believer. These are the marks of a genuine believer, of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. One who willingly and knowingly denies themselves, picks up their cross, and follows Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. You know, I, I would encourage you to read through 2 Corinthians chapter, well, 
all the whole letter and then understand how it is that Paul closes that letter to the Corinthians. Because he's talking about obedience. Will you pass the test? Is that what you desire? Because that is what the test is. A desire and a consistency in obeying God's word. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's this new life in Christ that followers of Jesus Christ are to live by and in. It's in this new life that we begin to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now again, it just doesn't come automatically. You know, the the new believer understands that they've been saved. They're overwhelmed with God's grace. And they're just looking for how to bless the Lord. it's, It's interesting, right? The new believer, all of a sudden they have... This new desire that has welled up within them. I don't know what it is, but I have a desire to read the word. I have a desire to know the word. I have a desire to kind of hang out with all you weird people. I once thought we're weird, but you're of a sound mind. All of a sudden, there's this dramatic change. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are you a new creature? With new desires? Is the old man dead? So number one, the basics of our faith. Verses one through four. Walk in the new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So number one, just start walking in that newness of life. Just start walking, live life in Christ. Secondly, reckon yourself dead to sin. Verse 5, as the Apostle Paul continues, said, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives in, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So walk a new life. Secondly, reckon yourself dead to sin. So Paul continues to patiently explain this concept, this this idea of truth, this reality that we in Christ are dead to sin and alive to God. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been united with the Father. 
And in his death, in Jesus' death, in his resurrected life, we know this to be true. Therefore, as he said, therefore, the old self was crucified with Jesus on the cross. The old self. Just think about this. Think about this for a moment. He paid the price in full. Christ was on the cross, but in him, you too, the old self, all of your sins, they were taken care of fully, completely, for all eternity on the cross. Let me ask you something. What happens to someone who's been crucified? That someone can answer. That Yeah, it's a very profound truth, right? It's silly, but it's one of those answers that we ought to, ought to ask ourselves, have we been crucified with Christ? Is the old man truly dead? Because when someone dies, they have no power and is no, under no power, no, no, no authority. That person is dead. That person has no function, no activity, has no sensation, cannot respond. You can take that dead body anywhere. You can tempt that body. With anything. And you know, you, know, you know what it'll do? Nothing. Won't respond. Because it's dead. Can I tell you for the Christian who's known this type of death? For that Christian, that death is freedom. It's liberty. This is why the sinner that comes to Christ genuinely repents and confesses their sin against God. And by faith believes that Jesus died for their sins and in Christ are new creatures in Christ. Are somehow miraculously at that very moment freed from the power of sin and we know it, it it's a it's a dramatic conversion that's one of the things that I thought about when uh, when I was we were worshiping this morning When we sing, bring me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And it took me back. It, it took me back to that moment. When I was very divinely, miraculously, Freed from the power of sin in my own life. I, I knew. That very moment. This is why the person who was anxious for everything and never had any peace in Christ by faith is now filled with God's promises and his faithfulness and, and now has God's peace. That person who was once anxious and worried is now filled with hope and a future 
knowing that there's purpose in life. The Bible tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But have you died to yourself? Have you died in Christ? For one who has died has been set free from sin. And that's what we see in verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's the freedom that I'm talking about. And Paul goes on explaining the fundamentals of the Christian faith. This is what we as Christians believe is what he was saying. He is writing the foundations class. For United, this is what we believe. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That's what we believe. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Crucified with Christ means the old man is dead and we are no longer slaves of sin. We have been crucified with Christ as we are in Christ by faith. Raised from the dead means that the new man has been raised to new life in Christ. Not only are we living by grace in Christ now, but we will never die. Do you believe that? Amen. Just as death has no dominion, it has no power over Jesus Christ. Death has no power over the Christian either, the one who is in Christ. Oh, we may cease to breathe and have a heartbeat, to be able to respond. But at that very moment, we will be in God's presence. It's not death, it's a doorway. That's all it is for the Christian. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and through 57 says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul could make the statement with confidence. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Because in death, Jesus glorified the Father, fulfilling his will. And in life, Jesus glorified God by living a perfect life. His will, the Father's will, he spoke only what the Father told him to speak perfectly. But he did all of that so that we, you and I, could live to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. But we can only do that if we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Not because we will it, but because Jesus willed it and made this a reality. And if we 
are in Christ, then it is truly a reality for you and I. Oh, this is, I, I was so excited about coming this morning and sharing this with you because this is, this is the truth. I pray that it's just like cutting to the heart this morning. Take me back to where we started. This is it. This is the gospel. The basics of our faith. Our glorious hope. Walk in new life. Second, reckon yourself dead to sin. And thirdly, offer yourself to God. Verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. An offering, a sacrifice. Offer yourself to God. Because of these fundamental truths of the believer, the Christian, we are not to let sin reign in our lives. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's an exercise of the will. Don't let it reign in your lives. If you're sinning habitually, it's only because you are offering yourself to that which is sin. You are freely offering yourself. And by the way, it's not because you have no power. It's not because you have no power over it or have no power to say no. That is nonsense. That's, that's uh, the enemy whispering in your ear. Oh, you're a weakling. Yes, you're a weakling. But it's by the power of Christ it's it's by the spirit himself that we can walk in the spirit and discipline the flesh bring it under subjection grow stronger as we exercise that discernment and the ability to say no grow stronger and stronger We sin not because we don't have power over it. We just read. For one who has died has been set free from sin, the power of it. We're no longer enslaved. We have learned that for the person who is truly in Christ, for the person who genuinely believes that Jesus died for their sins and was resurrected from the grave, that they are no longer slaves to sin. That person is not under the power of sin. And it is for this reason, this truth, that we have the choice to either let sin reign in our lives or let Christ reign in our lives. And it all depends on what and who we offer our lives to. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern 
what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Jesus said very clearly in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we keep God's word not because we have to. We understand we're not under the law in, the, in respect to where we can gain any righteousness because of it. But we do so to bless and honor him and demonstrate to him that we love him because he first loved us. You see, the law did its work in the life of the believer. What did it do? It revealed the sin. We went over that, right? Reveals that sin. But as believers, we are now under grace. And our obedience is not for salvation, but because of salvation. Because of the love that God first demonstrated to us. Why are so many Christians still walking around as if they're still slaves to sin? Why? Do you really believe that you have no control over your, your urges, over your actions? Nonsense. That's childish thinking. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I once thought like a child. I acted like a child. There was a point where I, the Apostle Paul says, I, I growed up. Uh, the Lord to um, Job. Remember, after all of what had taken place with Job, a couple times he says, says this, gird up your loins like a man. And answer me if you can. And he went through and just like, where were you when? He just laid everything out. I, I love that because I, 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 love, I, I love you brothers who are strong in the faith that are just willing to act like men. It's encouraging to me. It truly is. I, I'm truly blessed. I'm encouraged. I'm stirred up. When God talks to us this way, how do we respond? Like women. Act like women. Women who reflect the image of God. Men, act like men who reflect the image of God. He's brought you from darkness to light. He's given you eternal life. How are we then to respond with our whole lives? I'm an offering to you. That's how. This is why Paul is able to tell the believers in Rome, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, but rather present your lives as instruments of righteousness for God's purposes and to glorify Him. Your eyes, what do you allow them to see? Your ears, what do you allow them to hear? Your mouth, what do you allow it to speak? Your hands, what do you allow them to do? Your feet, where do you allow them to take you? Your mind, what do you allow it to think? This is not passive, it is active. And Paul is referring to our members as instruments of righteousness. Let me throw something else in there because this term, instruments, speaks of weapons. Weapons of warfare. What? Our eyes, ears, 
mouths, hands, feet, minds are all instruments of warfare? Yep. Because they are either used to battle against God or against sin. And you are responsible for what you choose to use them for. But they are weapons. Because sin does not have dominion over us and we are under grace, you are free. You are free to live righteously for the glory of Jesus Christ. Is that what you've chosen to do? What have you done with grace? I pray and hope that you choose to offer yourself to God. Walk in the new life, reckon yourself dead to sin, and offer yourself to God. In closing, I just want to make a few points and leave you with some thoughts. With all of that said, for anyone who is living in compromise, you know what to do. Confess, repent, surrender your lives to Jesus Christ. It's not complicated. It's just a matter of either taking a hold of that pride or surrendering it to Jesus Christ. Leave you with these thoughts. Does anger still have power over you? Does gossip still have power over you? Does anxiety and worry still have power over you? Does laziness still have power over you? And laziness is a sin. Does pride still have power over you? Does murmuring and complaining still have power over you? And the list can go on and on. I ask these things because if all of this still has power over you, then you ought to ask the question, have I really experienced a conversion? Have I really truly experienced being born again? It's an important question. There's no evidence. If there's no fruit in your life of salvation, that's the question you need to answer before you go on to any other questions. Salvation. I say this only because these are the fundamentals of our Christian faith. I started out by pointing that out. These are the very basics. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And one last thing. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, I am thankful. 
I pray that we, were all, we are all grateful for your grace. That knowing these things, that sin no longer has power over the genuine believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Lord, by that reminder, Lord, you help us to forsake that which is not honoring to you. Lord, that we would be passionate and desire, uh, Lord, to bless you by being obedient to your word, by honoring you with our very lives, offering our lives as living sacrifices unto you, for it's our, our reasonable service. It's our spiritual worship unto you. But I do ask, Lord, that for anyone who's living in compromise, anyone who has not made a complete surrender of their lives to you, that today they would know salvation. Whether it's a recommitment, Lord, or it's a, a, a new commitment, Lord, a, one of, of knowing that your grace is there, it's being offered, it, it's a free gift. It's one that has been made possible through the blood that has been shed on the cross by Jesus Christ. That, that the work of salvation has been finished. And so, Lord, that person who knows that, Lord, confesses to you their own sin in offending you. And they repent of that sin. Lord, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, seal them for the day of redemption, Lord, and they, that they would cry out today, saying, Hallelujah, God, you have saved me. And today they would walk in the newness of life. This would be the beginning of eternity with you. And one day, knowing that they will see you in all of your glory. And death, they will not know. We thank you for your grace. I pray that we would all respond to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.